It's Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. It brings the crowd to its feet once again. Four nothing Knights. Thirteen minutes to play in the second period, and the Knights get it there. Eichel looks ahead, backhands. Oh, he's decked hard. Helmet pops off. Gloves are dropped. Eichel is skating over to the bench. The Golden Knights kill the clock, and Stanley Cup Final Game Two is over. 7-2, the Knights smack down the Florida Panthers. The Flamingos come onto the ice. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Tuesday, boy, I didn't expect that. Dan Duva with the call. Smackdown, that's about as hardcore as uh, Duva's going to get. He could have gotten real nasty after the game. There's a, there's a lot of... A lot of words you could use to describe the Panthers' effort, the awesome result. Just an ass-kicking. From VGK, Willie's here. It's Cofield and Company, Willie Ramirez. Damon is in for the week for Ari. We got a lot on the way, including uh, Pierre Lebrun coming up in just a little bit, national hockey expert. He was at the game yesterday. Everyone was at the game yesterday. Willie's going to tell us all about it, what the scene was like. But before we get to that, inside of three minutes, yesterday was so weird, Willie. Because while you were down at the Fortress, JBT and I are sitting here in studio, and while we're tracking the pregame for VGK game number two, we're like, all right, there's a deadline for the legislature and this A's funding thing, and everything is quiet. We're like, are they going to do this at you know freaking 10 or 11 at night in the shadows? The 11th hour, yeah. And we never really got word. It's funny. Like, all the bombast right about the deal and baseball coming to town and the site and the pushback and the supporters and then everything just kind of fizzled at the end and now we're in this weird zone of like what the hell just happened but more importantly what can happen moving forward and the repercussions are gigantic they didn't vote now part of not voting was i would hope that they haven't really had a chance to answer or ask the important questions, which they still do. The legislators need to ask important questions, and they need to get the A's people in front of them, and we need to find out about roads and you know parking and all the other stuff that goes into this that I think was going to be just blown by because there wasn't enough time to get into it. But really, the overarching issue here is politics at the state level, as they're trying to get a budget done, you couldn't come to an accord between the governor and the assembly and the Senate that's still lingering. But we're like, yeah, there's no vote. There's no vote on the A's. That We have to get that done first. So I'm happy today. I want this thing looked into more thoroughly. Certainly want the state budget to get completed before we worry about some baseball stadium that we may or may not need. And I think for the A's, this is, I'm not going to say disastrous because we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But we did get a report on Friday, Willie, that uh, from Casey Pratt, ABC7, that said, hey, if Fisher doesn't get this deal in Vegas, he's cash poor right now. He's struggling, believe it or not, and he may have to sell the team. So I don't know where this goes from here. I don't know. But I'm I'm glad that they've bought some more time. Uh, my fear is that this gets done, that it does actually get done in the shadow somehow, which shouldn't. And by the way, Major League Baseball, uh, Bobby Manfred said that, hey, there was a possibility of voting on the relocation of the A's to Vegas. Uh, 
June 13th to 15th with their meetings, that's off the table for now. So pretty pretty weird development the way it came down. It's it's typical, though, of a lot of government-involved things. You, I've seen it at the local level in the past when I cover city council, um, county. This is a big deal, and I think – they're probably being walking on eggshells, walking, you know, taking their time after the Allegiant deal. And, and I'm not saying that there is, you know, I mean, that's going to pay for itself, right? That loan's going to get paid off. But I think that they want to make sure, especially with the franchise they're looking to get in bed with. Let's be real, Steve. This is uh, something that has come about, what, in the last 60 days, really expedite. I mean, it's been in the talks, but all of a sudden it was. Oh, all of a sudden, there's a pending deal at the the uh, the Wild West site. Then, then nope. And then it's there's so much uncertainty with the site itself that why is the why is our state government, our legislature, just going to turn around and say, okay, let's just pass? I mean, they probably don't have a plan in place. When Bill Foley brought the Golden Knights until T-Mobile, that was a planned operation. When the Raiders want to make their everything was sort of laid out. There was a blueprint. This has been such a cluster, you know what? Yeah. Why would they rush it to? We're not rushing. If you can't get a site pinned down, the renderings we know aren't for real. That was rushed together. Hey, right. get a graphic designer, just throw something. Point is, it's very unorganized. So why why are we forcing our state legislature to rush into it anyway and just commit to some funding? So yeah, I'm 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 pleased with this. Also, take your time. Let's get it right. More coming up in the 4 o'clock hour on uh, what went down with the A's and their stadium and funding and our state government. Obviously, the county is very much involved in this as well. All right, so what was the vibe last night? You hear Duva on the call there. He's mentioning the Flamingos. I saw a bunch of people with the inflatables. It just looked freaking wild. And it was one of those things, the euphoria, pretty much from the get-go, but you know, into the um, middle, you know, latter part of the first period. You just got this vibe like, do the Panthers even have a freaking chance here? And then, man, they when they had a chance, the Knights to step on the necks of the Panthers, I mean, they just did it repeatedly, slamming and slamming and slamming, which uh, then resulted in Matthew Kachuk freaking losing it over and over and over again. Which is something that I specifically asked Sam Reinhart on media availability between games one and two. It is something I talked to, to uh, Kachuk about last night after the game is – there is one thing about being a physical team and not deviating from your game plan, and that's their style of play. After game one, they said, uh, Paul Marie said, that's just the way that we play. You're just, maybe you're not used to that here. You don't see it. So when you see it, it's, it sort of looks different because it's just in your face. My question to the guys was, is there a fine line where, yes, you can be in your face physical, but when you start losing and the opposition is scoring goal by goal by goal and the and the margin's getting bigger, those hits become a little bit different. There's a little bit a little more physical, a little more and all of a sudden they go from being physical to frustration. And I thought one of the hits early on was the elbow, uh, I think it was Montour, his elbow. I mean, he, they, I, I, uh, you remember the phrase, the Malachi Crunch, right? From, from Happy Days. I said, that was more than a Malachi Crunch. That was an elbow to Marchesaw's head. And he came crashing in. Like, that was a scary shot just because if you hit it in the right way and that elbow comes in, it's a concussion type hit. Um, so, yeah, it, it was clear that the Golden Knights' um, fluidity, the rhythm in which they were playing, their depth, no matter who was on the ice, 
you weren't going to slow them down. The Panthers were simply getting frustrated, and their physical play turned to frustrating physical play. And they, you know, he said, Paul Murray said, in between games one and two, we have to stay out of the box. Yes, that, that's the key. We want to stay physical, but we got to stay out of the box. 14 penalties, 84 penalty minutes. Oh, and the Golden Knights, who were 18% on the uh, penalty or on the power play going into the Stanley Cup, they're now like 38%. A lot more on VGK. What a win. 2 nothing lead. Now heading to Florida. Last night was just resounding 7-2. to two. The Panthers freaking flipped out. There were hits, maybe dirty hits in the game. We'll get into that. Panthers flaw again. Rose to the surface. Got to get the Golden Knights out from in front of the freaking net. It's amazing. And did they break a great veteran all-time goalie in Bobrovsky? By the way, we want to remind you, the Las Vegas Aces are now doing play-by-play on radio for their road games. So the game is going to be on today, 3.30 pregame, Raider Nation Radio 920. Uh, the Aces take on the Connecticut Sun. Pregame guests include Becky Hammond and Candace Parker. The tip is at 4 o'clock. It's all over on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It's coming up here. In 30 minutes, and uh, check with us and check online. Check social because a lot more of these road games, we already do all the home games. Lotus Broadcasting already carries all the home games, but the Aces have now funded the road games, and they're going to be on radio, and the uh, game is on today in Connecticut. Raider Nation Radio 920 with the Aces at 3.30 with the pregame. All right, let's continue to break down VGK's gigantic victory yesterday, 7-2 to over the Panthers, 2-0 lead in the Stanley Cup Final. Willie's here. It's Cofield, DeMond alongside as well. We bring in one of the great experts from the hockey world, TSN Hockey Insider, and also a senior columnist for The Athletic. It's Pierre LeBron is up with Cofield and Company. How are you, sir? I'm all right. I, I don't know if I'm an expert anymore. I think the Oilers should be Vegas in the second round, so you may have to knock me off that, <laughs> yeah, well, knock me down a peg. It's kind of been par for the course with VGK, a little bit uh, maybe overlooked along the way, but, man, they're starting to send a message here. Give me what you know your, your main narrative, what you saw last night. What happened to the Panthers? Well, I don't want to take anything away from what's going on with Vegas because I think they're playing their very best hockey of the entire year right here and now, which is often what happens when the team has a chance to win the Stanley Cup. But I will tell you that I absolutely, which I suspected could be a factor, believe that the Panthers having nine days off between games really killed their momentum. And this has happened in the past. You guys know this. But um, it's for whatever reason, this sport, I think more than almost any other sport, having that long a layoff can really get you out of rhythm, which is not to say the series is over, of course. Um, Panthers are back home, and they'll be revved up in front of the whole crowd, but, but that's certainly one factor. The second factor is I think this is the biggest, most physical team the Panthers have played in their amazing journey here. You know, they beat an, an historical regular season team in Boston. They upset an, an offensive offensively dangerous team in the Leafs, and of course the uh, um, you know the Carolina Hurricanes who finished, I think, third or fourth in the overall standings this year. But none of those teams are as big and physical as and imposing as, as Vegas. And that, from being in the rink for the first two games in Vegas, that really came through. And that's not nothing. Like Some teams can say, okay, we're not as big as Vegas. Let's find another way to beat them. And, and certainly the Oilers felt they could do that in the second round. But the problem for Florida is that that has been their edge in getting here right. and in surprising their opponents is that they've kind of been the nasty, edgy, in-your-face physical team and, and in particular really gave Toronto, for example, issues with that in the second round. And um, that's just been nullified completely with the way uh, Vegas is coming out of them physically. 
So on the topic of VGK size, we've seen the Golden Knights have dudes in front of Bobrovsky blocking the, uh, the vision a lot. Is, is size the main part of that, or is a big part of it just poor execution by Florida? Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of both okay. for sure in that. I, I mean, listen, it, it also give credit to Vegas' blue line. And say, well, why am I talking about the blue line when we're talking about Vegas' boards getting to Bobrovsky? Because I think that there's been some really smart play from the blue line as far as w- what kind of shots are getting through in, in terms of waiting for your forwards to be positioned in front of Bobrovsky. All of those things are all sort of tied into each other. And I think, you know, Vegas's 6D have been phenomenal at uh, – at finding the right lanes and the right timing uh, to launch their point shots. And I think that's a real understated, underplayed part of today's game, to be honest. It's not about the slap shot anymore, as you guys know. It's just about finding lanes and getting pucks through. And I think Vegas has done that really well. But, again, Sergey Bobrovsky has not looked like the Sergey Bobrovsky that we saw in these playoffs. I mean, uh, you know, for, for those that really dig the goalie stat and the analytical goalie stats, his his goals saved above expected, especially uh, in the latter round of the Boston series and against the Leafs was through the roof, almost historical. And uh, we've not seen any version of that so far in this series. And, you know, I think one of the concerns internally for the Panthers eventually is that if you look at Sergei Borowski the last few years, after he's played a pretty long stretch of games, he, he tends to tire out and need a break, just to put it bluntly. Mm-hmm. and it's been a long stretch here. So we'll see whether just getting pulled in game two is enough of a break, especially the double off days. Once again, speaking with Pierre Lebrun, TSN, and also NHL columnist for The Athletic. Pierre, um, we, you and I were both at uh, media availability in between games one and two, and the topic of physicality came up to both Paul Maurice and the guys that were on the dais. And I had even asked Sam Reinhart, is there a fine line between physicality and as the opposition is is gaining ground, gaining momentum, and 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 furthering their lead, it becomes frustrating physicality. Are you seeing that instead of baiting Vegas, they're sort of baiting themselves and becoming frustrated, and they're sort of playing out of character eventually? They start out with their character of physical play, but then they get mm-hmm. out of character by allowing it to get out of hand. Yes, and, and I think, listen... It- it's so easy for us in the press box to say, oh, that crossed the line, that crossed the line. I mean, one thing I've, I've always tried to remember 28 years now covering the NHL is those players on the ice, when they're trying to play right on the edge, right on the line, which is what, you know, which really what brings the best out of them when they're right on that line, boy, it's so emotional. And, and it doesn't take much to cross it. And I think the Panthers have crossed it here at times in the opening two games, and it's really cost them. The reality is that they've been one of the most penalized teams in the league the entire year, right, from day one. This is who they are. But when they can just channel it enough and stay on that line, it works for them. You know, it, it really, it, you know, it got under the skin of the Bruins. Remember old Mark going after Kachuk? Yeah. And it got under the skin of the Leafs, all kinds of stuff happening in that series. But you have to be right on that line. And I think, of, for example, uh, Brandon Montour, a terrific defenseman for Florida, you know, basically – punching Marshall on the back of the head right on that roughing penalty. That's, yep. that's not – he knows he can't do that. But that's the – I think the frustration that has been building up early this series for Florida against Vegas. And and kudos to, to, to the Golden Knights. I think especially Alex, Alex Petrangelo, how many times has he been punched in the head so far this series <laughs> and, not retali- and not retaliated? And, and, and even more so credit to how disciplined and veteran this Vegas team is. 
that was an unbelievable. I mean, that that that'll go down as one of the most famous body checks in the Stanley like Cup final history, Matthew Kachuk and Jack Eichel. And I know that there are Vegas fans upset at hearing that. It, it just will. Yeah. Like we're going to be talking. I, that's what I wrote about in the Athletic last night this morning. That hit will be like we'll be talking about it in thirty years. Yes. I mean, even if Vegas wins the cup, which right now they're heavily favored to do after being up to nothing, that hit. Yeah. will be a lasting memory because it involves, first of all, two special players. And so you don't see that to begin with, you know. And B, it was a clean hit. It's, thank goodness Jack Eichel's okay. I mean, obviously, myself and everyone else alive in the rink, I'm thinking about a surgically repaired neck. But so, so happy to see him come back. And, and also, after the game, just say, hey, that was on me, man. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's, yeah. that's leadership from Jack Eichel, in my opinion. Not to want to stir the pot. His team's up to nothing. And deep down, we all know this. He's friends with Matthew Kachuk, so so that's probably part of it too. But but that was a great hit. But what I'm about to get to, and I'm I'm kind of um, going too long here, is that the way the Golden Knights reacted to that hit with their discipline was phenomenal. Yeah, okay, a bit of a scuffle, but in terms of not letting it destroy their focus the rest of the period, the rest of the night, that was phenomenal discipline by Vegas. Once again, we're speaking with senior columnist from The Athletic, Pierre Lebrun. And you're right. I read that column um, this morning, and uh, and I'm going to retweet it. We, I mean, you, you just covered the angle, but I, I, want, I want everyone that's listening, if you're interested in reading it, Pierre not just broke it down in a column, but he, he got quotes, and I was amazed. I'm sitting there. I'm picturing you, Press Row, texting everybody for quotes. <laughs> Gerard Gallant, he's got, he's got former NHL players, current NHL players, coaches. He's got quotes with them breaking down the, the, the hit itself and their thoughts. A couple of the requested anonymity, so it's a, it's a great read, and I'll make sure I put it at the top of my Twitter. But, Pierre, I really want to talk about Aiden Hill because this is a kid who – you know, if you'd have told anybody in Golden Knights land, hey, we're going to get this kid from San Jose. First of all, I remember how they reacted when they hired Peter DeBoer. You bring in Aiden right. Hill. If there's anybody that's grown up and gone from elementary school to middle school and high school in one season, this kid has done it. Yeah, and, you know, uh, played in Arizona and then the Sharks got him. And I remember when San Jose got him, they truly felt there was something on top there. And it obviously didn't happen for him in San Jose. The Sharks, of course, didn't help that they were starting to slide down the scale of the team and, and, and their defensive performance in front of them. But I, I remember the, talking to the Sharks organization and they're like, you know what, this, this, this guy can be a one. They truly believe that. And, and now we're, we're finally seeing it. And obviously kudos to Sean Burke, right? Director of goaltending for the Vegas Golden Knights who, you know, Golden Knights fans remember the, the work that Sean Burke did in Arizona years ago with uh, Devin Dubnik and Ilya Brzgalov. I mean, he made all those guys look like Vezina Trophy winners <laughs> with his work. And uh, and I think some of his magic is rubbing off again here this year with the Golden Knights having to go through, what is it, 74 goalies? Not yeah, 74, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah okay. about that, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so he's a great story. And listen, I mean, I, 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 will, I, mean, I will say this right now, before this cup final started, and this is not at all a criticism of Aiden Hill, but it's just, again, a fact. If Vegas wins the cup, is he one of the more unheralded goalies to win a cup? You know, in a long time. I mean, I mean, that doesn't mean you're not playing great and don't deserve it. It just means that your resume isn't as thick, right? And um, and I think you'd have to put him up there with maybe Antiniemi, who had an unbelievable run with the 2010 Blackhawks. But you know what I mean? I mean, it's it's sometimes you. 
you know, either it's a guy who catches lightning in the ball when it matters most, or it's the beginning of something great. And it could very much be the, be uh, be that for Aiden Hill, but it's it's a phenomenal story because you go in to the last two series, you go into the Western Conference Final, you're like, how is Aiden Hill going to outplay Jake Ott- Ottinger? <laughs> yes. Well, he did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and again, there's there's team play involved and all that. And again, I think the Vegas Blue Line is, is arguably the best in the NHL. But still, you still got to stop the puck. And he's done that. Um, and, and now you go into the cup final and you look at Sergei Bobrovsky's constant argument, which was legit entering this series, right? And, um, and you're like, how is he going to outplay Sergei Bobrovsky? Well, not even been close. So it's a pretty, pretty cool story for Aiden Hill. By the way, how was the trip to Florida? Well, it started at midnight at the airport in Vegas. Uh, then they went through Atlanta in the morning, and then eventually I got to my hotel in Florida around 11 a.m. and and about 1 p.m. I uh, went for a long nap and woke nice. up uh, missing a three-team trade in the NHL. So I wasn't ah. very happy about that. <laughs> hey, last one, last 30 seconds. What you know, down two nothing. Uh, that's an interesting market. I'll call it interesting from a hockey standpoint. What do you think the atmosphere will be like inside the arena in Sunrise? Well, I was here for the second round when the Leafs played here, and uh, I got to say, I was I was really impressed. I mean, this has not been a market, as you know, and, and an arena that's been particularly full over the years. There's a reason for that. They went 26 years without winning a playoff series. I don't care how good your market is sports wise; that's going to hurt. But I tell you what, against the Leafs in the second round, you couldn't hear yourself in the arena. I mean, they came out, hmm. and same thing last round, from what I could tell, against Carolina. So I think you'll feel that. Back home in Vegas, if, if you're watching Vegas, Vegas fans, that despite being down to nothing and everything else, pretty special will be the Cup Finals. I think you'll hear a pretty vibrant crowd here in South Florida. Pierre, you're awesome, man. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on uh, relatively short notice and on short sleep. Absolutely, anytime. Right on, right on. All right, we'll <laughs> see. There he is, Pierre LeBron, uh, very well known hockey insider all over North America, especially in Canada, where he's a hockey insider for TSN, and he's also a columnist. For The Athletic, we're going to check in with our own Darren Millard from LV Sports Network in about 15 minutes. He's in Florida, so we'll catch up with him. And we got to get into mandatory minicamp. Uh, no surprise, one of the star players for the Raiders did not show up. Willie Ramirez is here with us, Cofield & Company. Damon helping out all week as well, running the show. Willie is all over the Stanley Cup final for the Sporting Tribune. You're all over the Raiders for the Sporting Tribune. Did you make your way out to OTAs today? Actually, today was mandatory minicamp, no OTA. Okay, mandatory minicamp. Uh, I did not. I was trying to pay attention. Uh, I had so many other things I had to catch up on because I not only was doing Sporting Tribune, but I was doing Associated Press stuff as well. We triple teamed it. Stephen Wino, who's come to the show, and Mark Anderson. So I was trying to play catch up and pay attention. Twitter, whatever I could do. NFL Network on TV. Uh, so I was just trying to pay attention as best as I could from the house. And I had a big radio show to prepare for. Story today, not a shocker, but Josh Jacobs not there because really he's not under contract, right? They've got the franchise tag on him. He's got a uh, July, mid-July deadline day. Josh McDaniels talked about Jacobs and uh, surprisingly didn't say a whole lot. Doesn't The deadline is not until July. So again, uh, I, I respect everything about that process. I've This is not the first time that... You know that's happened in terms of me being a part of that. So, um, you know, I, like I said, I stand by what I said before. Love the kid, love the player, love the person, and um, look forward to when I see him. Here he talks about attendance in general for mandatory minicamp. 
much. With the uh, with the uh, sorry, with the uh, minicamp being mandatory and OTAs being voluntary, what's the um, attendance been like for minicamp thus far? I know you're just starting it, but what's the attendance? You're been about like? talking about today. Yeah, and everyone. JJ is the only one that's not under contract, so everybody everybody's here. So we have 90 because we have the international. Um, because David Ogoha is in the international program, so we actually have 90 here, um, and and that's that's what we w- would have expected. Okay, so full attendance. I think McDaniel's is is in such a weird position here. First of all, you know, being the head coach in these contractual things with these franchise tags is weird. He's also part of management, so he's part of the decision making team with the GM mm-hmm. Dave Ziegler. I don't know what else you're supposed to say because I'm not mad at McDaniel's. Or Ziggler for playing the NFL game the way you're supposed to play it, right? You you just don't pay running backs, and if you're going to sign a long term deal, it's going to I think it's going to be on the short side rather than a market rate. So I don't know what they're supposed to say here, but I also don't blame Josh Jacobs for being away. He's not under contract, so this. I mean, I hope they get something done before the middle of July, but it might go right up until the deadline. I personally feel that. It goes back beyond him winning the rushing title, this this stance. And you know why? Yeah. Yeah. Because one year ago, Steve, yep. Josh Jacobs, after the draft, sort of was wondering if he even had a place on this team, right? The running back room was full after a full draft. <laughs> yep. And this is a kid who said that he took it upon himself personally yeah. after an injury the previous season to work his ass off to get healthy, stronger, yep. both mentally and physically and emotionally. And he was candid about that. He showed his vulnerable side to, uh, during media availabilities. So he took it upon himself to sort of put his own work in, aside from the facility. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you draft a room full of running backs. So it goes beyond, I went out and I ran for the rushing title. He put in a lot of offseason work. I, I wonder... So he knows what he's capable of. I wonder, with all the hard work, how it felt for preseason game number one last year when they're like, hey, Josh, go ahead. With all the backups in, why do you play? Yeah. Like, wait, you didn't pick up my option. I've been committed. I'm getting ready in an uneasy situation for the season, and then you disrespect me by playing me in game one. And for people out there, because you'll have half a Raider Nation who are like, oh, drama, media. No, human being. Human being. Now, maybe Josh Jacobs is better than a lot of us. But I don't know. I know you. I know me. I don't know Demon that well. But I'm guessing that that kind of thing sticks in your craw. Now, when you don't have a long-term contract and you're at a position that has been devalued and they, you believe they dissed you by not giving you, well, not picking up your fifth-year option and then playing you in the first preseason game. So I wonder the emotions and what's going into it. And like I said, maybe Josh Jacobs is a better man than I am. I would still be annoyed by it. All right, let's go back down to Florida. We just got done talking a little while ago to uh, Pierre Lebrun. And now our guy from Scripps. Scripps. We're going to go with Scripps from here forward. And, of course, VGK Insider Show. Darren Millard is up with Willie and Cofield. Darren, how was the trip? The trip was seamless. But we were met. uh, There was about four or five Panther fans outside the gate as we uh, left the terminal area of the tarmac. And they were not happy with the Golden Knights. They were uh, giving us thumbs down. Did you ask them? I all? thought it was pretty funny. Did you go after them and start punching them? No, I just I, I was kind of giggling. I, I think they were there to welcome home the Panthers, to be honest, because their flight was just behind ours, leaving Las Vegas. So I, I believe that's why they were there. I don't think four or five people show up just to hmm. boo 
the the Vegas Golden Knights. I think we were just we were collateral damage by four fans. Hmm. Did you start a chant? Chuck sucks. Chuck sucks. Uh, no, I, uh, I I did not. But uh, what that was uh, quite the hit though yesterday. Uh, he he set a record for <laughs> most penalty minutes in the first two games of a Stanley Cup final. Like, nice. Like, it's crazy what uh, what he's been able to pile up. Now a lot of that's a little bit misguided in the sense of its severity because of the ten minute misconduct, but uh, it's been extreme. I'll ask it simply: What's his problem? Uh, well, I, yesterday <laughs> the, the ten minute misconduct in game number one yeah. was deserved. Like he he went all out to try and send the message, and the referees got in front of it as much as they could. And they got him out of the mix uh, to try and keep things uh, in order. To be quite honest, the first 10 minute misconduct yesterday after the hit, I thought was uh, a little more extreme than it needed to be. Uh, and if I was a Florida Panther fan, I would have been upset with that uh, as well. That, that's your best player, and you're trying to get back into a game, and the referees take him out of the lineup for, for 12 minutes. Uh, that, that was uh, a severe uh, punishment. Uh, considering uh, it was a clean hit and he got uh, reacted to by the by the Vegas Golden Knights, the last ten minute misconduct, like yeah, uh, they, they, it was by the books. So you could see it coming. You could see it coming from from all the guys. So uh, he's an emotional player. Uh, we, we've seen that. He's actually been matured over the over the years. But uh, but I think there was a, a little bit of um, overzealousness by the officials in, on, on the first ten minute misconduct. Uh, and I tell you one thing. We walked into that Florida Panther locker room, Darren, and the first person holding court was Matthew Kachuk, yep. holding responsibility, accountability, talking about them all, and said, you guys just aren't used to seeing physicality for 60 straight minutes. That's our style of play. But as the Golden Knights are taking that lead, I've continued to say, and the lead gets out of hand, they are letting the physicality turn into frustration hits, not physical hits. Well, they're chasing, and it wasn't even frustration in game number one, uh, Willie. They they were just going out of their way to try and and uh, and send any type of or establish uh, a game plan uh, against Vegas, and it cost them uh, in chances against because it left them vulnerable. And uh, I think you saw as yesterday uh, certainly wore on a little bit more of the frustration part. I have no trouble with the, with the, with the body contact. Uh, uh, I love a hard physical contact. I would love to see more of it. Uh, Vegas can play any style you want, so I, I don't think it's a necessarily a, a huge advantage uh, for the Florida Panthers in, in this series. But uh, what, where, where people are, are kind of getting uh, uh, detoured uh, from a Florida Panther perspective is the after the whistle stuff and the and the cheap little uh, pokes and prods and cross checks uh, that that's become a major focus by the officials and then it's costing them uh, in their uh, in their lineup because they're not having certain people available for lengthy periods of time with all the misconduct and it's and it's costing them uh, with their approach and, and Vegas is just walking away it's it's been uh, a, a really good if you take out the, the first half of game number one, I think Vegas has been really good for the uh, for the last four periods uh, of the series, four and a half periods, and yep. uh, and I think the uh, the series reflects that. Once again, speaking with Darren Millard, our VGK insider from Scripps and our Golden Knights network. Uh, listen, when you have Jonathan Marchesaw calling Lomberg little guy. 
you're not worth my time. It's not worth my time, little guy. You got to love it. But this dude is coming on strong, man. Jonathan Marchessault is now the favorite to win the Conn Smythe. You talk about Smith, Eichel, all, um, um, Stone, all these big guns. Marchessault has been the heart and soul of this team since day one, and he continues to come up big. Yeah, I think it's still a, a pretty good dead heat between Jack and, and Jonathan, but there's been some separation where coming into the series, it was, uh, it was wide open with five players. Uh, that could uh, could be in consideration for that that Smythe Trophy. Uh, being able to score, being able to um, ride the emotion, being able to contain his own emotion. Quite frankly, in in a in a, a high uh, uh, event series where there's a lot going on uh, in and around the play, and then between the whistles, I think has uh, has been really impressive. And and being able to convert these plays uh, along with Jack, like they, they, those two have. We entered this season with Jonathan Marshall basically being connected to two other players on this team uh, as, as a line uh, perspective. And, and now he is directly uh, wrapped up in the sphere of, of Jack Eichel. Those two have, have some serious uh, bonding and uh, ability to read off each other. And you saw yesterday with, the, with Jack being able to spin away, coming back in the third period and being able to make that play. Uh, and Jonathan Marshall being in the exact uh, spot. But he, he's, he's the first player, Willie, since Sidney Crosby in 09 to have 12 or more goals and seven or more assists in, in a dozen games. I, can, I know there's a lot of numbers there, but just know this. Uh, it's directly compared to Sidney Crosby, who is a future Hall of Fame player, and Jonathan Marshall is the first player to, to do something and Sid did it 14 years ago. That's pretty good company. Darren Millard on ESPN Las Vegas with Willie Ramirez with Steve Cofield. He's calling in from Florida. Nice enough to do that as we're getting ready, uh, ready for game three on Thursday. For you, just pick out a moment from the game. What was a moment in the game where you're like, God, that was cool? Uh, the first period, to be quite honest, was uh, was great because they, they were able to establish the lead, but then they – they took the penalty. It was Nick Law taking the penalty. And we watched Aiden Hill just come up with save after save after save after uh, making a big stop on a break late earlier in the series. And, and I'm of the belief that, uh, that a goaltender can't win a consmite on this team. It's just it's not going to be impactful enough. But you do have to make big saves at certain times. And he did that in, in game one. And he stepped up. That, that could have easily been a 2-2 game. Uh, going to the first uh, intermission yesterday, uh, and and a much closer game in, in the second period. But Aiden Hill's performance in these playoffs and the the uh, spunkiness uh, of him. He, he if it were a regular season game, I have uh, a lot of uh, confidence saying that he would jump in there and start throwing them as as a goalie fight. <laughs> now the stakes are pretty high in, in this. He's not going to do that, but uh, his ability to get uh, under the skin of of Matthew Kachuk in the first period, holding him in the net, uh, in what he did in, in game number one and, and throwing the, uh, the, the glove, uh, the trapper, and then the, the blocker in and making saves and being able to do it because that's the other part. Now, you, a lot of guys will get distracted and get off their game uh, when they start doing stuff like that. Uh, it almost builds his confidence and his momentum. So uh, yesterday, the coolest part to me was, was 
uh, Aiden Hill's ability to raise his level right along with his teammates in a convincing Stanley Cup final victory. There's always going to be a lot of cool highlights in a 7-2 victory. I thought one of the best highlights moments of the game was the Mark Stone play where he's without yeah. a stick. He's like, yeah, let me let me get a little contact here. Let me pick up a stick. Oh, the puck's right on my stick. Oh, perfect pass for a goal to Howden. Okay. So, so JW, uh, equipment uh, manager with the Vegas School of the Nice part of the equipment staff, uh, you, if you watch or you're anywhere near a bench, off of face, every face-off, those equipment uh, staff have the, their hand on the stick of the center iceman. Wow. Because a lot of sticks get broken on, on, on face-offs. Yeah. And, and they react to whoever's around the ice. And you'll watch them. Their hands will move on the sticks to who, whichever player is, is near the puck. And it's it's almost like uh, a beautiful orchestra going on with with the plays happening on the ice and the uh, equipment staff is JW is, is moving his hand uh, across all all the sticks and tracking it uh, perfectly. How he knows uh, whose stick is what uh, I don't know. Well, it's easy with Mark Stone because he's got that uh, uh, very uh, uh, unique tape job. But uh, but it, it was perfect. And and he comes up and and he should get uh, a lot of credit. I know he was yeah. on Sports Center last night. Uh, that play was on Sports Center last night. He wasn't mentioned, but uh, he should. He should be acknowledged for the for the reaction. There. That's awesome. Yeah, that's why we have Millard on a nugget like yeah. that because you know that's a great. You, you're right. You don't you don't think about that. That hey, someone had a hand on the stick. You know, yeah. if they if they blow the hand off, then he, the the rest of the play doesn't happen. I thought uh, this is well, anybody yeah. can have a stick, right? But, yeah. And I've seen it before where where a guy will go by the bench and he'll take a stick and it's the wrong hand. Ah, uh, okay. Because like, yeah. like, you're just you're not thinking that that's very rare in the National Hockey League. But right. I've I've seen. But 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 to be able to get and there wasn't a lot of time there. Uh, you guys uh, you guys witnessed the play. You, you uh, brought it up uh, as a unique uh, moment of the game. Uh, Steve, it, it was quick, and he had it over there, and it was the right stick, and it ended up leading to a goal. I thought it was interesting after the game. Your guy Butchie Bruce Cassidy quote. I found this up at uh, RTHG's Twitter account. Ryan the Hockey Guy uh, quote: "We have the best team one to twenty. That's just how I feel." You don't hear a lot of coaches say that in the middle of a series. Well, uh, I think you know, there's some context there that uh, that you have to apply to it. Uh, it's not just uh, Bruce coming out and making a blanket statement like that. Uh, he was asked uh, whether his the depth of the Vegas Golden Knights has allowed them to dominate the series or own the series, and, and he was quick to say, "Like we're not we're not owning anything, we're not dominating anything." Mm. But other teams will have good players: Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl, uh, Matthew Kachuk. Uh, the Teams uh, that uh, Vegas Gold Knights have played have better individual players. But from a 1 to 18, from a skater perspective, uh, he is very, very confident and comfortable in saying that, uh, that the Golden Knights have the best top-to-bottom team, if you put it uh, into that kind of context. If you, if you rated all the players, they would, they would come out uh, ahead. And that's certainly the case with the blue line. And we've seen the production uh, from from the forward lines. All four forward lines scored yesterday. All four forward lines had their moments, and then uh, Lima, the goaltender, who had uh, marvelous moments during the game when Florida had their pushes. Once again, Darren Millard. Uh, one minute, Darren. One minute. I want to uh, Jack Eichel. We we talked about him absorbing yeah. the hit. We've talked about his offensive savviness. He hasn't scored in like eight nine games, but you know what? His importance is still felt. Everything else he does on the ice. Well, he's still leading the Stanley Cup playoffs in, in points. It's not like he's gone silent or is any kind of drought. And uh, and we've watched uh, uh, Jonathan Marchessault crank it up. And the biggest benefactor of Marchessault's 
uh, or influence of Marshall's production on uh, goal scoring front is Jack Eichel feeding on the puck. And I Barbershev yesterday had a big hit too. So, so that line, uh, they, they've, they've taken back over as, uh, as the tone setter for the, for this team. I, I'd love it. Jack just walked by me downstairs about 10 minutes ago. Looks great, comfortable. Uh, great to see what a high of relief to see him come back last night for the third period and then do what he did. Darren, you're on uh, VGK Insider Show today? I am. I've got the uh, computer set up uh, right here, ready to jump on as I look out at the beautiful Atlantic Ocean. With uh, tank- say, There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight tankers within my sight. Oh, nine. Uh, there's one just uh, nice. behind the umbrella. Can you send a picture? A little, wind- little windy, a little rainy, yeah. but the uh, beach crowd is still out there. Text me a picture. Yeah, text us a picture. We want to see. We, we want. We want to see your your makeshift studio. I want to see the view. I will send you a video panning from my computer studio to the view from the room. God, you're great. Yeah, thank you so I'll do much for you guys. We know, Darren, we know. you're the best. That's Love up. you guys. Can't heap any more praise on him. There he is, Darren Millard. I got uncomfortable at the end there. Too Love much. you, buddy. Too much. No. Oh, are we? Is, are we going to add that to the mix now? He said. He said, "Love you." Guys. Oh, he did. Yeah. Oh, we got a second guest who loves us. Yeah. Is that going to become a regular thing? Will he remember? He's he he's admittedly kind of prickly, so I I got to tell you that meant something right now. Darren, I'm not going to get emotional during the break, but that meant something. Yeah. Darren's a good guy. He gives me a hug between second and third periods. Really? Up on the yeah. Like a good luck hug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just fist pound. Ask how mom's doing. Da 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 da. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, conversation. Oh, we always have conversation. Okay. Yeah. How about we do a giveaway? All right. 364-1100, 364-1100. Aces are actually coming up right now on uh, Raider Nation Radio. The pregame is being played, but they've got a game coming up. But we've got tickets. Let's give these tickets away. 364-1100, Tickets in the ESPN Fan Zone. Aces against the Chicago Sky. It's this Sunday, noon start at the MUA, Mick Ultra Arena. You can get your tickets at AXS.com. The Fan Zone is brought to you by West Star Credit Union and Finley Volkswagen of Henderson. But two tickets, check that, four tickets, four tickets in the ESPN Fan Zone. It's the Aces against the Sky. DeMond's going to hook you up. Caller 7364-1100.